You know, I feel like I've started the last three now, ruminations here, the last three TNG episodes with opinions change, blah, blah, blah. You know, just to summarize myself at this point. Wow. Like, this isn't a lamentation, but this episode is not good. Holy crap. <laughs> I'm, sh I'm actually shocked by this. I mean, it's one of those episodes, it was not on the VHS list, you know, it was not one of those episodes that was, oh, I want to rewatch that, and it's not an episode I thought about a lot, but I never actually thought about it being particularly bad. Now, what's funny is, as I've said many times, I do research when it comes to these things, and I looked into this one. It turns out the original script for this was actually tossed out by Maurice Hurley. Okay. Now... Then we add into the fact that both halves of the episode got uncredited rewrites. Um, the Leah Brahms plot got a rewrite from Jerry Taylor, which, yeah. And the Space Baby plot got a rewrite from Moore, which, honestly, I'll be, I, I'll, I'll be completely honest, I didn't see that. You know, I didn't see any of his fingerprints on that side. With one exception. With one exception. So, yeah. What the hell is up with this episode? Before I go any further, I just want to mention something. So I'm sitting here and I'm jotting down my notes and you know, I'm getting my stuff ready and I'm going through the book, you know, and all that stuff. And I think, hang on a second. Oh, Galaxy's Child? Really? Because it's a Galaxy-class ship. I, I, I don't think that ever quite clicked with me. I always thought it meant just like the child of the galaxy, like Picard himself says during the episode. Anyways, the core topic of the episode is interesting. It's expectation versus reality. Problem is, the episode doesn't do anything to examine that topic whatsoever. It's, I expected A. Oh, it's actually B. Huh. And that's basically as far as that topic goes. Not exactly a bad topic, but again, nothing is done with it. It's not, because... <sighs> Jerry Taylor has mentioned several times that she's not really into sci-fi. That she's a character person. And I've said before that she does good character work. And that is mostly true. And I mean that. Um, every now and again, I've, I've even praised her writing here on TNG. But in this bit, it feels more like a, a mediocre sitcom. You know what I mean? There's so many things that just happen where it's just face-palming. I mean, this is straight out of Three's Company. The fact that he goes to such lengths, even when it's brought up directly to his face, to not bring up the holodeck program is exactly the kind of thing I'm talking about, that he just kind of keeps that in, in the rear for so long until finally she just stumbles into it. Oops, how embarrassing, right? It's, it's like, and the whole thing is basically portrayed as if it's kind of just for artificial drama, which they then make up for effectively one scene later. Uh, what? Uh, Jordy, okay. Then there's the fact that every time the two argue... There's no argument going on. The dialogue is uh, awful. Just, just to be as absolutely nice about that as I can. You know, she says, you're, you're such and such is off spec. He says, yeah, because I had to adapt it. Well, you're such and such is off spec. Yeah, because I had to adapt it. And he's like, look, we had to, do, what, what do you want from me? And then her response is this, is this your only response? The same old tired rhetoric? Uh, what? <laughs> That's not a counter-argument. In fact, the weirdest part is I can't even tell what her argument is. Now, I can presume what it is. I, it, the presumption is he changed what she designed, therefore he's wrong. But she's not making an argument there. She's not presenting a case. 
In fact, she, he flat out says, I don't feel the need to defend myself. Her entire argumental approach is to basically put him on the defensive and attack his argument rather than establish hers, which is, is the type of arguing I just absolutely can't stand, by the way. Um, <laughs> while I'm on the topic, they make several comments about the fact that the matter-antimatter ratio has been changed. Isn't there only one matter-antimatter ratio? One to one? This came up on an episode, actually. Uh, Wesley and... Uh, I can't think of his name, but the, the, the Benzite had that thing. It's, it's obvious, one to one. It's the only possible ratio, right? Right? I mean, there's a degree of logic to that outside of the fact that it's been stated in an episode. And yes, I know the tech guy kind of tries to hand wave that away. So Jordy just... And then, to continue the sitcom thing, Jordy just occasionally slips up. You know what I'm talking about, right? I, I see this in bad kids' cartoons as well. In fact, I even see this in good kids' cartoons. Where someone's like, oh yeah, I know such and such. And they're not supposed to say such and such. The other person goes, huh? And I mean, what I mean by that is completely made up thing that has nothing to do with such and such. And the other person goes, oh. Right? Like, you know the pattern. You've seen that before. And he does this like three or four times in a row with her. And this probably would have been the natural time to go ahead and mention, yeah, I've, I mean, you know, I've looked this up and other, but he doesn't even bring that up for three more scenes until he finally, they're finally in the Jeffrey's Tube, by the way. This episode introduced the Jeffrey's Tube to Star Trek, to TNG specifically. And this is the same Jeffrey's Tube we see over in Voyager and over in DS9 as well. Oh, I know what you're going to say. You're going to bring up the hunted. Uh, no, <laughs> that wasn't a Jeffrey's Tube. This is, this is a Jeffrey's Tube. Anyways, but yeah, he then, she assumes... He's trying to break the ice. And she even mentions he, she's cold and cerebral. And then Jordy pisses me off. So here's the thing. As I mentioned, the, the core idea, expectations versus reality, interesting. But the problem is that every step, Jordy wants to date this girl. He has romantic interest in her. Now, that's not a crime in and of itself. But the problem is that's the, the core interest there. He expects to romantically get involved with this woman He's never met, and he bungles it at every single opportunity. The entire scene where he's setting up the date is not that great. And I get the idea that we're trying to establish the fact that Jordy just doesn't have, you know, romantic qualities because we're all pretending transfigurations never happened. But <laughs> what are you doing, episode? And then he keeps talking over her. That act, that's where it really pissed me off. Up, up until this point, it's just, ugh. But then he started talking over her. Now, what he was trying to do was to emphasize how he knew her. And yet, as we've already established, the, you can't have it both ways episode. The core point of the episode is that he doesn't know her. And he doesn't. Even if I'm to give this episode a shred of credit, which I'm not willing to, but if I was going to, I would be willing to look at this and say, the point is that she is an intellectual type. She's not sociable. She's not warm. She's not affable. She is antisocial. Doesn't she mean she's mean or cruel or cold or whatever the word you want to use there? It just means you approach people like that differently. Not everyone's the same. I know. Shocker. I've known plenty of people like she is portrayed as, really. And I've been friends with all of them. Because you just don't you don't treat them like other people. You don't just walk up and be like, hey, an extrovert all over their faces. Instead you try to engage them intellectually. You try to find out what they're interested in, and if you also happen to be interested, express interest in that, and share and discuss things they're interested in. Jordy 
the designer of, of all the engineers of Star Trek, he is the most designer engineer of the engineers we meet in Star Trek. You know, the, the guy who would work best if he was actually back at Utopia Planitia designing stuff, right? Jordy, of all people, should be the kind of guy who should be able to engage her. Really, actually engage her intellectually. And actually get into that cerebral cold thing. To be able to discuss and decide. Because he knows his stuff. He knows his stuff inside and out. That's been well established. So showing that expertise and showing that fascination and showing that drive. That would have gotten to her. Instead, he approaches her like she's a woman he wants to date. Now again, that is true. She is a woman he wants to date. But you can see the automatic flaw here. There's a lot of actual, legitimately good chemistry between the two actors. And the two characters should gel almost perfectly. And yet they, they just... So anyways, I'm sorry. I said they can't have it both ways. Um, the episode tries to make it look like Jordy knows her inside and out because he keeps re finishing her sentences for her. And yet again, the episode's point is that he doesn't know her. That he doesn't actually understand her. That he, he only understands a bit of her. It, it, I've talked about this so many times in real life and on my show. There's a difference between surface-level details and complex, in-depth details. Uh, this is going to come up on DS9. I know we're not there yet, but all I'm going to say is Julian Bashir, and, and just those of you who know know what I'm talking about. There's a difference between someone who is, you know, completely normal. That's the wrong word. There's a difference between someone who understands you surface level and someone who understands you in depth. Like, I'll, I'll use a personal example. I know one person in the world who actually understands me in depth. One, and that's my sister. That's it. Now, everyone, everyone else is somewhere else further on that, but the only one who actually knows how I think at an in-depth level is my sister. <laughs> that's why she's my sister, basically. You know? So the way, so anyone else, you know, they can, they can interact with me to some extent or another, but they would only know more surface-level stuff. Like, you know, you like video games, right? You know, that's a, it's a true statement. It's a true statement. But it doesn't get across the point, the why, the wherefore. And that's how this should have been portrayed, in my opinion, because I don't like to critique without giving a counterexample or, or an alternate example. I think this should have been portrayed as Geordi understanding that she's an engineer and then basically trying to run with that and having it slowly go worse as he constantly tries to hit that same point because he just doesn't know anything else about the individual and the complex facts about her. And as she finally... <laughs> And then, of course, to keep the whole sitcom thing going on, she mentions, oh, yeah, by the way, I'm married. The, the way they explain that away is that Jordy mentions that it, it was the computer never told him. I don't buy it. <laughs> the way the episode presents this, again, you can't have it both ways. The way the episode presents it is that he's been following her career and has been fascinated by her and her designs ever since. So he's been looking her up since Booby Trap, which is back in season three. Right? So it's been like a full year. And yet in all the information he's garnered since then, however much that may be, the word married or husband or whatever never came up. Did she get married last week? So... I'm, I'm sorry. I, I don't even know what else to add to this. Wah, wah. I, and of course, of course, the one scene... The one scene that shows up when she decides, when she finally finds out about the holodeck, is when you touch these engines, you're touching me. It, it, it's it, that scene has always bothered me in Booby Trap. I love Booby Trap. It's one of my favorite episodes. I think it's a hidden gem of TNG. I really do. 
But that those lines, it's just like two or three lines in that scene has always bothered me. And I think this is at least part of why. It is unnecessarily suggestive in a way that it shouldn't be. There is no reason for this holographic recreation of this character who has formed no attachment because it's basically the computer itself to be saying something like that. The only reason I would buy this is if Jordy basically walked in and said, Computer, add romantic subroutines to this character. Or, or <laughs> you know, something. Add subtext routines, please. Because that line just went over the line. No pun intended. And of course, then of course, we now we now see why that line was here. I, I'm kidding. Of course, Star Trek doesn't plan out that far in advance. But still, this just makes it worse because that's what she sees. It's funny because you'd think she'd see everything else, right? Like him interacting with the holographic reproduction. Remember the two of them arguing over in Booby Trap, right? The, the the hologram and him arguing because the two of them were bouncing off ideas of each other because they couldn't agree on things. No, she couldn't see that. Of course, that would be ridiculous. Sitcom. I, I could just hear the in the background, you know, because you got to have the, the, the music track. Oh, my God. And then, then Jordy pisses me off again because she's upset about this. And let's be honest, validly so. I've discussed already, as of now, over on Deep Space Nine, part of the concept of holographic sex. And we've already kind of covered that topic a little bit, so I don't want to reiterate the topic, because that came up on the Barclay episode, and that came up on the DNS9 episode with Kira and Jeffrey Combs' character, whose name I don't even remember. But the point is, we made a whole discussion about how incredibly murky and messy the idea is of holographic recreations of known entities, you know, celebrities, co-workers, etc. It is a murky topic. However, I think we can state with decent certainty that she would have a right, being her own individual self with her own individual preferences, to say that this upsets her. Not if it's right or wrong morally, not if it's right or wrong legally, but only that this upsets her because she is a very private, cold person who's married and who's been getting hit on by this guy since she got here. And he happened to have a holographic recreation of her. Now, it didn't go anywhere. We've already established that, and Jordy actually points that out. But her being upset, which again is my core point, makes perfect sense. So Jordy walking into that should be, oh, I don't know, apologetic? Or how about just have decent, decent, common decency? Yes, decent decency. Decent politeness. To be able to say, look, I'm sorry, I know what this looks like. It's not a big thing. It didn't go anywhere. I apologize. I should have told you about it earlier, blah, blah, blah. And what's funny is he never really apologizes for this, because in this scene, the scene portrays it as if she's in the wrong. He counter-arguments and says, you're right, I have committed a terrible crime. I'm, I tried to reach out to you and to be your friend. What? And what's funny is that's the same kind of arguing she was using earlier, if you're paying attention. They really are made for each other, aren't they? He doesn't defend his argument. He attacks hers. Then... They just are suddenly laughing at the end because they got to work together once. Because everything is just resolved like that. Again, very sitcom-y. I know Star Trek does that too. And uh, what the hell? <laughs> she apologizes to him. And at the very least, the one and only decent thing he does is says, no, you don't have to apologize. Yes, you're right. He doesn't have to apologize. <sighs> then there's the B-plot. I actually have a lot less to say about the B-plot. I forgot how un insubstantial it is. Seriously, it's like five scenes. There's the alien. Oh, wait, excuse me. No. There's an uncharted system. There's the alien. And then, whoops, we killed it. 
okay, there's a baby. There's a little side scene about the baby. So then there's the actual getting the baby out. It attaches to the ship. Okay, we've got to the asteroid belt. Oh my gosh, we need to get it off. Okay, we've succeeded at getting it off. So it's actually nine scenes, but that, that's still nothing. And I'm, I'm probably missing some, so it's probably close to like 15 scenes. But still, it's, it's an incredibly small amount of screen time is devoted to the B-plot. Now, I like Ronald D. Moore's writing. I do. Um, I don't like that B-plot at all, because there's nothing there, with one exception. So, there's an uncharted system. Now, keep in mind, they're not exactly out in the boonies. Remember, as I've kind of been charting the course of the Enterprise over the seasons, right about now, they're kind of here-ish in the uh, Alpha... No, sorry, the Beta Quadrant which means they're getting close to Klingon space, kind of going in that direction. Now, I point that out because that's going to be relevant for where the the, the chart of the Enterprise is going in the future, but it also means that they're not exactly that far from home, and yet there's an uncharted system. Now, I understand that space is big. (laughs) I do. But the very fact that there's there's an uncharted system, I found that to be a weirdly fascinating fact. Because to me, that means someone probably saw the star, labeled it and, and its coordinates, and then just moved on. And I kind of like the idea that Starfleet does that a lot, you know, shotgunning probes out into the galaxy. And any star that's just kind of there, they just boop, take some brief data and toss it back. And then later on, an actual ship will go and explore it and do the more in-depth scientific studies of it. I'm not making fun. I I like that idea. It's kind of a cool concept, even this relatively close to home. Then they see the space life form. I think this is the 37th space life form we encountered. I'm making that number up. I have no idea. And it irradiates them. I only point that out because, once again, relating this to booby trap, uh, lethal exposure in one minute. That is fast. That means they are getting blanketed in radiation. Deadly, horrible, gamma radiation, and they're turning into the Hulk all over the place as we speak. Which is kind of terrifying, but also I have to... Now I'm picturing an entire Enterprise full of Hulks. Anyways, I'm sorry, I'm segueing because there's just not much to talk about. Except for this one bit. I've already referenced it like three times. Picard's there. The radiation's attacking. The computer says one minute to lethal. Picard says phaser, minimum yield. And then there's a, you know, Worf immediately, ready, sir. Then Picard hesitates. Like almost a full three seconds, which doesn't sound long, but let me demonstrate three seconds for you really quick. Fire. You know, that kind of a, a very demonstrable, noticeable pause there. And Patrick Stewart, who is a much better actor than I, gets across all of the gravity in that moment. That scene is awesome. Because you get everything right there. Now, later on, he says it. He actually has a speech where he says, oh my gosh, and says everything that he's feeling. I think that speech was totally unnecessary. Because that moment, those, those four seconds or so there, showed everything they needed to. This is a, a mission of peace, a mission of exploration. He, he were just curious. They had to respond. He has to respond. He knows this. He is responsible for his people, his crew, and his ship. And so he has to respond, and he has to respond with with the minimum force available, but that was enough to kill it. Kill her, I should say, because it's a mother. And, yeah. You, he, Stuart and the lines do get across just how much this impacts him, and I like that. I also like the fact that for once, the threat of the week is believable, even though I don't care about it. <laughs> I, I know, it's, it's a weird thing to say, but what I mean by that is the Enterprise is more than a match for these things. I mean, granted, that may have been an injured creature, but a low level, a low yield, one phaser blast killed it. <laughs> granted, it was in labor, but still, these things are not a threat. Unless the Enterprise has been continuously power-drained to the point where they barely have anything at their disposal. 
Nice touch. A, a, a decent way to try and pull away some of the tools in the kits to, to make these things actually threatening. I'm with it. As an aside, they did some good CGI work, which was kind of unusual, especially at this point in the, uh, the show's history. Which is funny, though, because they also had a model. I've seen a picture of it, the model of the, the actual junior. It was good stuff. Which is the only good stuff in the episode. I'm sorry. I'm so negative. I apologize. I hope you've enjoyed. I'll see you next time, guys.